Welcome to the Latinx Kidlit Book Festival podcast. This is season one, episode 16, exploring identity and self-esteem in Latinx YA novels with authors E.E. E. Charlton Trujillo, Ana Garcia Scopper, Richie Narvaez, Alex Temblador, and Francesca Flores. Enjoy the show. I am your moderator today. I am author and filmmaker and literacy activist E.E. Charlton Trujillo, and I would like to welcome you to the first ever Latinx Kindlet Book Festival that we are all here to celebrate today. You're here today for a panel, and that panel is exploring identity and self-esteem in Latinx YA. Now, before we jump into the incredible, exciting, and fascinating panelists who are here before you right now, um, I would like to encourage you to take a moment and to please read our anti-harassment policy in the chat box. I know you're doing it right now. It's right over there. You're reading that right now. We're waiting. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Good. Good. And if you have any other questions and you want to pop over and look at that again, please do so. Now, I hope you are as ready as we are. We are absolutely on creative fire to spend time with you today. And so to do that, I'm going to introduce all of these amazing authors who are with us, um, including myself, but I will go last because I'm the moderator and that's how it should be done. Um, so first up, we have Francesca Flores. She is a writer, of course, and a linguist. She was raised in mighty Pittsburgh. She read every fantasy book she could get her hands on and started writing her own stories at a young age. She began writing Diamond City while working as a corporate travel manager. When she's not writing or reading, Francesca enjoys traveling, dancing ballet, dancing ballet, go you, and jazz, uh, practicing trapeze, oh my God, rock you, and contortion, is that correct? And visiting parks and trails around San Francisco, where she currently resides. Everyone, we are giving a, an applause that you cannot hear, but we're doing it for Francesca. All right, go ahead. Hi everyone, it's so great to be here. I'm so excited to be part of the Latinx Kidlet Book Festival. Um, thank you for the great um, introduction, E. Here is my debut novel, Diamond City. It is about an assassin in an industrializing city. So there's a lot of like trains and smoke and just like a lot of grimy, gritty scenes. And um, she gets sent on a mission to kill this really rich guy. And she messes up. And so now she's on the run. But while she's on the run, um, she uncovers a conspiracy in her city. So lots of fun. All right. Could you hold it up a little higher so I can see the cover all the way? All right. Awesome. Thank you. Diamond City. Rock on. Um, <laughs> All right, next up, and here we are with Ana Garcia. And this is a name that might trip up some people. Um, it sounds like copper, but it is not copper. It is scopper? Correct. Yes. Copper, you just add a, an S to the front and you've got it. So this, of course, is Ana. She teaches at McDaniel College and Westminster and, and at a middle school in Walkersville, Maryland. Wishbone is her first published novel. 
Hornbook called it a, quote, story of culture, love, and feminism, a compelling tale with an ultimately empowering and satisfying conclusion, end quote. And please let us welcome the amazing and wonderful Anna. Thank you. That is lovely. I appreciate <laughs> that so much. So guys, this is also my debut novel. I'm going to hold it. Hopefully you can see it's Wishbone. And I really loved writing it. And I'm so excited to be here talking about it. So thank you very much for having me here. Um, this is a book about a 15-year-old girl. And her name is Vilad Sanchez. And she is overweight. And she's got low self-esteem. And she's trying to find self-acceptance, basically. And it's about her struggle and her journey. And she wants to be an actress. And so when the opportunity arises for her to try out for her school's production of Our Town, she um, she wants to do it, but she's afraid because she's facing a bully who's kind of making her feel bad. So the story is about her and her struggle and her journey and finding her voice. And at the same time, we've got inter interweaving chapters um, of her grandmother's story. So her grandmother is also having a similar experience. Her story takes place in 1976 in Laredo, and her grandmother is also facing her own bully in the form of a domineering husband. So anyway, so it is a, it's a funny story. It's a sad story. It's got a little bit of everything, and it's just about these women who are empowering each other, empowering themselves, and finding their way and their voice. And that's it. And that is fantastic. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, all right. I will take my enthusiasm and now transfer it to Richie. <laughs> so Richie Navarez is the author of Holly Hernandez and the Death of Disco. Booklist called the novel, quote, a fun historical murder case that takes a fresh approach to teenage angst, anxiety, and the need to belong, quote. He teaches at the Fashion Institute of Technology in Manhattan. All right, Richie. Oh, hi. Thank you, E. Thanks for, uh, I'm so glad that we were able to get this panel together. I'm really yeah. happy to be here today. Uh, I'll talk a little bit about my book, Holly Hernandez and the Death of Disco. So this takes place in 1979. Holly Hernandez is a 14-year-old detective. Well, actually, she's a student who just wants to be a scientist. But she gets into, she gets into school. Her mother is a detective, but her father was a scientist. She wants to honor her father. However, a crime is committed at the school and she stumbles upon the crime scene and finds that she can understand clues very easily. In fact, she starts figuring out who the killer is. The problem is she accuses her school rival of being the culprit of the crime, but she quickly realizes she's wrong. She needs to make things right. So the novel proceeds where she's trying to figure out who the real killer is. At the same time, her rival, who's also a highly intelligent student, is uh, in competition with her to solve the crime as well. So in alternating chapters, uh, her rival, Xander Herrera, who's similar but different to her, uh, is also trying to solve the crime. And they, in the end, solve the crime together. All right. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you so much. All right. And now it is Alex. Timblador's debut novel that we will talk about, which is The Secrets of Casa Rosanda, uh, which was included in the 2020, uh, how do you help me with the pronunciation there? Is it Tasha's reading list? Um, Tejas. Tejas. Oh yeah, Tasha's. Tasha's. You're right, you're right, Tasha's. Tasha's <laughs> reading list and Kirkus's best book of 2018. It won the 2018 Writers League of Texas Middle Grade slash Young Adult Discovery Prize and the 2019 Tejas Focal 
Young Adult Fiction Award. Go ahead, Alex. Thanks. Thanks so much for having me here today. I'm really excited to speak with all of you about our amazing books. Um, Secrets of the Casa Rosada is set in Laredo, Texas. My main character is 16-year-old Martha, who's abandoned by her mother with a grandmother she's never met, who only speaks Spanish. And her mother happens to be a curandera, which is a Latinx folk healer. Um, in the book, Martha is trying to figure out where her mom went, why her mom left her, and discovers that there's a really big family secret that she is determined to learn. All so right. thank you for having me here today. Fantastic, awesome, okay. Um, I'm the last one to go, as I said. Um, I'm uh, an author and a filmmaker, and um, uh, I write young adult, middle grade, and picture book novels. Um, most people know me for this novel here. Let me see, there we go, which is Fat Angie, um, soon to be a trilogy as the third and final book releases next year, which I'm so excited about. Um, and as far as Angie goes, wow. Um, woo, uh, I, for me, I, I guess the story of Angie is a story of a girl who's trying to find her way in some of the most difficult times. And she's a young woman who deals obviously with um, body image and um, has troubles at home that kind of keep her from really uh, figuring out who she really wants to be in the world. And it isn't until, a, you know, in the first book anyway, until a new girl comes into town and really sh begins to mirror to Angie what it means to be strong in the wake of an immense amount of loss in her life. So it's sad and funny and strange and bizarre and all of those kinds of things that I think sometimes life just kind of turns out to be. So yeah, so this is me, Fat Angie and other books. So now that we've all introduced ourselves and you know a little bit about us, um, you know, there's, there's something about each of our books that, you know, we're, they're our own books, right? They're, they're unique into themselves, right? But then there are things that connect us, right? And, you know, sometimes we, we can kind of umbrella that into, you know, universal themes or whatnot. You know, our books talk about homelessness or poverty or strength and beauty, um, body image, right? You know, maybe sexuality and, you know, and, and a lot about family and how that family um, kind of weaves into our stories. And, and it's part of our lives and our culture. Right. And so, you know, we can look at the things that are different, but they're also things that we all share. And so what I'd like to talk about now is this kind of springboard, you know, we are here and we're gonna talk about exploring identity and self-esteem in Latinx YA. But the first thing I really wanna know is what excites each of you about writing for young people? And let's start with Anna. Sorry, <laughs> pushed the wrong button there. Um, so I think what I love about writing for, for young adults in particular, and I am a teacher, so I also teach middle school. I don't know if you heard, but I get to talk about to my students about the things that they love to enjoy reading. And what I love about them is that they're very, they're very open about different ideas and different concepts. And they they like to read a wide variety of, of books. And so they're willing to try different things and to really um, let their imaginations go wild. And so they're not yet stuck on a certain type of book all the time, but they're willing to to try different kinds of stories. So I guess that's what I, I love the best about it. Uh, Richie, you wanna go? Uh, yeah, sure. Um, I like writing for young people because it's so much fun. I, will, I, I have other books that are written for adults 
But when I talk to young fans, they are amazing. They have read the book 10 times. They will tell me that it is the best book they ever read. It's so fun. They're so enthusiastic uh, about stories and about writing. Uh, so I just love that kind of feedback. And I love trying to find ideas and stories that will entertain them, that will be new for them. So it's a challenge for me and I really enjoy it. Uh, so I, I love the feedback and I love, you know, trying to impress young, young readers. Francesca? Hi, yes. So echoing a bit what Richie said, um, it's just really fun. And I like that young readers actually get excited about the books and they can connect with the characters really well. Um, for me, when I was younger, one of my biggest, like, I guess, pet peeves about life was that nobody really took me seriously and that I um, couldn't really use my voice much. And it was hard to just be heard on issues that I thought were important, even if they were just like personal life if issues, it was hard to be heard. So I like writing books where my protagonists um, just start learning how to use their voices more. Alex? Yeah, I don't think I knew how amazing writing for young adults was going to be until my book actually came out and I got to speak with a bunch of teenagers who had read my book and just see how much they connected with some of the themes of my story. I would have a lot of teens come to me and say, I've never had a book that made me feel this way, that the way that I feel about my identity and my culture and my community and these struggles that I have in those aspects. This is the first time I've been able to see myself in a book. And you know, I can remember when that happened to me as a young adult. And so I'm glad that my book and the story connects with them on that kind of level and allows them to be seen and to be heard in, in this like amazing way. You know, it's interesting because like for me personally, you know, I think it's a culmination of what every one of you just said. And there's that idea that I get to, I get to write books that I didn't have access to as a young person. Um, you know, growing up in a small South Texas town, you know, and so now, even though my books may not always be set like in that same town, but I get to take part of that experience and part of the experiences of kids that I get to meet all over this country and then go, okay, I get to create these stories that reach in. You know, I always, always say that, that, that quote is that we read to know we're not alone. Right. And so when you write for young adults, you know, and in my case, it's, it's also middle grade and picture book, but when you're writing for young adults specifically, it's, it's that reaching in at that moment when things can be so hard, you know, and, and also so fun and so great. And you get to you get to reach in and sort of mirror back like different experiences that make them feel less alone. And I think that's really exciting to me because I think one of the best things that we can do as artists sometimes is is we can entertain and we can excite. But in those moments when we feel really alone, you give them a place where it's safe to be who they are. You know, whatever version of that that is, right? Just as Francesca was saying that she didn't feel like she could be heard, right? And in her book gives people a place to be heard, right? So um, anyway, now moving on to the nitty gritty, right? All right, we've dug in. Now we're going to dig in deeper. So everybody prepare. Um, here we go. How do each of you explore identity in your books? And what is the role of family in that? And anybody could start who'd like to go first. Anyone. I'll go. <laughs> <laughs> um, so in my book, um, you know, Martha is Latinx. She is ha uh, she is Mexican American, but she doesn't realize that identity until her mom drops her off with the grandmother she didn't know existed. 
Um, and so Martha is like a fish out of water, just exploring her identity and culture for the first time, feeling torn between um, trying to be like the good Mexican granddaughter and not really getting or doing it very well a lot of times. Uh, she doesn't know Spanish. She doesn't know anything about her culture, much less like what the food is she's eating. Um, so I think one of the cool things that I've gotten feedback from is um, a lot of young Latinx kids feel this like pull, this pull between being like American and being um, Latinx. And it's always like a competing thing within their families. Um, are they being Mexican enough for their families or Latinx enough for their families? And so um, in my book, Martha's family is definitely like a really big new thing for her. Um, she doesn't know exactly how to have a family, how to be in a family, um, how to be the granddaughter that they want her to be. And um, so it's a learning process. But I think, you know, one of the other big themes about my book is secrets in families and that it's a very toxic thing that just brings the family down in ways it shouldn't be brought down. Um, but if you can come together and be open about these secrets, then the family can grow closer. So, yeah. What about, what do you think, Anna? Tell me a little bit about how this plays out in your book. So, um, so my character, she's also kind of, she, she does part of the bullying is, you know, racial slurs with the fact that she's a Mexican and the bully calls her different stupid names, but kind of, yeah. But my, my character is still trying to feel comfortable in her skin. And I really like the family connection. The family connection in my book is important. And her, her Mexican grandmother comes to visit. She's very loud. She's very sure of who she is by the end of the story. And she kind of, she holds up a mirror to Pilad. She reminds her that, hey, this is who you are. This is who we are. You're not alone. We're connected. You're part of me. So when somebody puts you down or makes fun of you, they're making fun of me because we're all in this together. So Bilad learns to draw strength from that. And she sees that, hey, this isn't just about me. It's also my family is with me. And if my family loves me, if my family sees strength in me, then that must be there. So ultimately she finds that out and she finds that in herself, but that, that family bond and that family support and encouragement really, really is what drives her by the end of the story. So it's definitely, um, you see a line from the ancestors back, back, back and her aunts and all the pictures on the wall of her family. It's almost like they, she hears her voices talking to her and she draws strength from them. I love that. I love that. Who else would like to chime in here? Anyone? I can. I could speak to uh, uh, Holly Hernandez. Oh, I'm sorry, Francesca. Um, I just it, it. So in my book, there's 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 two main characters. There's Holly, who is um, let's say fairly assimilated, Americanized. She's from a middle class family. Her her mother's a police detective, and has to work long hours during. Um, a time of heavy duty sexism in the 1970s. So uh, Holly's family life is kind of compromised by her mother's need to succeed at work. They're, they're working her extraordinarily. So Holly is still struggling to find a strong family unit. I mean, it's sort of been broken. Her father's passed away. She goes to school and her struggle is to try to find friends, to try to understand who her friend should be, who she is. Uh, I think one of the, the, the themes is her trying to understand to change her identity. Maybe I'm not the, 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 the detective's daughter who has to follow all the rules. Um, and uh, also there's, 
their diet is different than, for example, Xander Herrera, who comes from a lower class family. Um, his family's also uh, kind of broken and he's struggling to find friends. He is a, a very uh, a Puerto Rican family as well, but their their struggles are, are slightly different and he's trying to find out who he is as well. He doesn't want to be friends with anybody, whereas uh, Holly is trying to find friends and is having a, a hard time. And Xander is just dealing with his own social awkwardness. He doesn't know how to get past it. Uh, so he just is angry at everyone all the time. So these two form a contrast in trying to find, uh, this teenagers uh, trying to find out who they are throughout right. the story while trying to solve a murder mystery. Francesca. Uh, yeah, so uh, in my book, it's in a fantasy world. So there's it's not exactly a one-to-one -one correlation to our world, but the main character, uh, the country that her parents are from is still inspired by Colombia. And um, I'm mixed. And so while not, not all of my characters are mixed, but I, still like to explore a lot of the feelings that come with a mixed race identity by um, showing my characters who feel a bit adrift or like they're, they can't really connect to any one culture and how she kind of, my main character um, in Diamond City, how she feels like um, it's just hard to find her place in the world or, <laughs> yeah. So um, I like to explore that identity in my books and also, um, I grew up with a single mother, so I like to write sort of non-traditional families where you might grow up with one parent or you're closer to your found family okay. than your biological family. And yeah, I just really love to explore that in my fantasy books. <laughs> okay, awesome, awesome. Okay, so the next thing I'm gonna ask you is, hmm, I have a whole plethora of questions, but which one to go to? I think I know. Um, why don't we talk a little bit about why you think it is important to create Latinx characters in books and how you would like all readers to connect with yours? Who'd like to go first? Anyone? Alex? I'm like trying to get my mic on. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, it's important because we need more Latinx stories. Number one, they weren't there when I was a kid. I'm only 30 years old. Um, There's still not as many as we need to be to um, for Latin for Latinx kids and Latinx communities to be represented in literature and YA literature. Um, but you know, we are a growing and prominent and dominant presence in the US and many other countries around the world. And I think it's a beautiful culture that other communities can either relate to, connect with, or learn more about. And so I, what I like to do for my books is um, really try to bring people who are not part of the community also into my books, into um, the main character's perspective in ways. And so while yes, my book is representative and therefore Latinx kids to feel connected to because it does have a character who is Mexican American. Um, Martha is like many Americans in most ways who don't know anything about her Mexican culture. So if you don't know anything about Mexican culture, you're going to feel very comfortable following Martha as she learns about it too. Um, so I'm hoping there's, at least with my story, there's maybe a connection for anybody who reads it. Um, yeah, thank you. No, totally. 
Anyone else like to? Yeah, Richie. So uh, just as, just as Alex was saying, I think what what we're doing is, is sort of an anti erasure thing when having Latinx characters. We are putting characters out there that generally haven't been seen before. Mm -hmm. Now, when I grew up, there were uh, Latino things we had, but we had stereotypical ones. Yep. You know, we had Zorro. Um, sure. There was a comic book character called the White Tiger. Wow. And he was Puerto Rican, but he was called the White Tiger rather unfortunately. Yeah. Um, Though his story was complex, but again, it was sort of the um, that sort of ghetto uh, soap opera kind of thing that was again very popular in the '70s. With my characters, it's certainly in in Holly Hernandez, I'm trying to show um, you know the whole thing that we're not a monolith, that this is not that there aren't just this kind of Latino Latinx characters that we're we're very different. Uh, Holly is a, a super smart uh, intellectual kid. Um, so is Xander, and I wanted to show that. Yeah, this is a good, good thing. You should, you should uh, read books uh, like science. Get into these things. I wanted to show them as role models right. and show them as as an opposite to a lot of what we actually still see a lot uh, in mainstream culture. A lot we still see a lot of stereotypes, and I think all of us probably yeah. are fighting against that to show that. Yeah, we're not just this. It's not just salsa dancing. It's not just you know uh, guacamole. There's more to all of us. And I think um, when I have people read my books, I, I want not just let the Latinx audience to see this. I want the mainstream audience to read my books as well and go, "Oh, I didn't know that." Yep. Or look, you know that you know these are just people. Um, so that's that's what I, I hope my readers get out of it. Anna, do you have something you'd like to share? So I, I would echo what Richie said. Yes, and also Alex. Um, I think it's important that the readers see themselves in the characters. And I agree that we need more Latinx writers, especially in YA. And so I think that they they could look their culture is so rich and they're so they're so they're just it's so rich with different things and str strong characters. And so I, I would I like that readers are exposed to that but also that they can see that, yes, those characters are not so different from me. Right. Like we have things in common. And one of my characters, she, her mother um, is Mexican also, but she ends up marrying a white man. So they're, they're, they're living together. And, and um, Bilad has a half sister who is blonde hair, blue eyed, has a very different experience from her. So I like to mesh the cultures together and kind of blend them. And, and I think it's, there's a lot of richness there. There's a lot that you can do with that. So I would say we need more of that. We need to expose readers to that. They need to see the culture because there's so much to enjoy there. So thanks. No, no, and I agree with, I agree with everything and with what everyone's shared so far is because, you know, a lot of the time we are stuck in that sort of stereotype of, of what, you know, Latinx is. And it's such, it's an umbrella term, right? So there's so many things under that. There's so many different ways to be, you know, are you Latino, Latina? Are you Chicana, Chicana? Are you Dominican? Like, I mean, there's so many layers, you know, are you, you know, and, and how we define what that is. And when you expose young people to literature, you know, in that realm, they're getting the breadth, right, of, of what that can look like and be like, you know, that um, this is a total side note. I, I, I remember when I got into grad school and I didn't go visit ahead of time and I meet the director of the film school and he says to me, you know, he says, oh, welcome to be here. And so I'm so glad. And I had come from South Texas, but I was moving to Ohio, 
right? So it was very different for me. I'd always been around, you know, Mexicanos and Mexicanas. So my town was even like that. And but when I got to Ohio in this town, it wasn't like that. And so it was very like culture shock, right? And I said, it, yeah, it's very different. It's, it's very kind of a culture shock to come here and, and to not, you know, feel that. And he, and he said to me, and I mean, just with no sense of it, he goes, oh, don't worry, we have migrant workers. So his idea of what Mexican-American was is someone who is, you know, working in the fields. And there's nothing wrong with working in the fields. It is a, it is a you know, people do. And there's nothing wrong with that. But his mind stopped there. And for me is when we're writing these books, it's about not stopping in one place, whatever that one place is now, anything is about expanding that, which is what all of you are saying in, in different ways, of course, is expanding the narrative of what that can be. And also like the normalcy, right? There's, there's, it's not like we're like sitting in the room in some corner, like just making tortillas all the time. I mean, there's a normalcy to our lives that might not include that. Like I am the worst tortilla maker ever, you know? So, I mean, but that idea that there's more depth to us, right? To each of us and to our stories. And the more we give that, yes, it's a reflection to the, the, the Latinx kids who are reading it, but it also informs other young people, whether they're, you know, white, black, native, Asian, that they can see the shape of us in a way that maybe they didn't conceptualize before. No, you know, I'm sorry, Francesca, I, I didn't mean to cut in on you. Go, please go ahead. And if you had anything you'd like oh, to share. No worries. No worries. I mean, it's sort of echoing a lot of you, but um, since I write fantasy, um, that was something I never saw Latinx characters in growing up. And partially I understand why, I mean, it, it's hard to write a Latinx world in fantasy because you don't know what you're drawing from. Are you writing a current day country inspired? How much of Spain is there? Is it just a colonized fantasy? So it's it's a hard thing to write, but <laughs> um, I, yeah, I, I really wanted to see that uh, growing up. I think it would have helped a lot with my own self-esteem and sense of who I am. And so now in the past, um, like just two years, I've started seeing more Latinx fantasies um, like Nocturna by um, Maya Motain. Not sure if I'm saying her last name correctly, but, and um, uh, Woven in Moonlight by Isabel Ibanez. So I think it's, yeah, great to see that. And like, like you said, it's to help with breaking down stereotypes and a conception of a monolith because the only Latina, the only Colombian representation I saw, um, of course, not in fantasy at all, but uh, in the real world was always something about drug smuggling or violence. And so, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> lots of fun. So um, <laughs> I think it's just important to write. I When I write my books, I write my characters with experiences that I hope anyone could relate to, or even if they can't one-on-one -on -one relate to it, they can see how my character is um, growing and changing and at least empathize with her. Okay. So I'm gonna talk a little bit now, I'm gonna make a little shift here because you know the part that you just mentioned about like self-esteem, right? And that is a part of what we're discussing is, I wanna know how does body image or body positivity or physical strength play a role in your work, okay? so. What are your personal feelings about addressing these issues in stories for young readers? Anyone want to take a stab at that? Well, I can go uh, <laughs> and talk about uh, the, the 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 body positivity issues that we have uh, in in Holly Hernandez have to do with um, she's she's fairly shy uh, uh, and she hasn't really explored uh, 
much mm -hmm. of the world that's going on in the 70s, yeah. which is very flashy. And uh, she's, she, she blow dries her hair straight. Uh, she's very, uh, she's got her, her glasses, she's got her braces. So she's very sort of a wallflowery. However, she, by, by, by meeting friends who help her explore that part of herself, she gets to play with her identity and decide, you know, whether she likes her hair that way. Um, so it's just sort of um, part of that playfulness um, and stretching outside of what she's comfortable with. But uh, so she is not, she doesn't have as many self-esteem problems as Xander does, who is uh, her rival. And he is, uh, if you asked him, he would say he loved himself and everything's great about him. But of course, he's covering up from the fact that he's a big dude and he stands out from everybody else. He's got glasses, he's got bad acne, uh, and he, people are talking about him constantly, but he ignores them. Uh, but clearly he's hearing them, but he, he thinks he's ignoring them. So there's uh, just, it, 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 it talks about bullying, bullying and it talks about him learning to get better self-esteem self by finally connecting with his mom and his family and then going out to dance, going out to the disco where, I mean, people tend to malign the disco era and stuff like that, but dancing is a very free expression of the body, you relax, you're open. And I think that's also happens for Holly eventually, where they're able to become something else a little bit on the dance floor. So it helps them open up. So uh, that's the things that uh, I play at in Holly Hernandez in terms of, of self-esteem. So in, in my book, and, and this is gonna be interesting to hear how Francesca deals with, you know, body strength after reading some of, uh, you know, reading your book, but like, you know, for the Fat Angie books, you know, it is all about finding your strength, you know, and to be bullied and to feel less than and to not find and not understand how to step into your power because to feel like you're under this microscope because of your size and to use food as a means of um, sort of medicating yourself at times and to find your strength that you can be okay in that body. You don't have to be skinny. You know, you don't have to, let me rephrase this. You don't have to lose weight to be seen, to be heard, to be loved, right? That and 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 so and to find that power and strength. So for me, when I think about that, this book is all about accepting yourself right where you are, right? And of course, that doesn't always go well with the family. That doesn't always go well with mom. That doesn't always go well with peers. And but finding that balance, and of course, looking at the trilogy now, I can look at it through each book and go, wow, how each book begins to pay off what that's really going to be. And, you know, with Anna, I mean, after reading her book and then I thought, oh my God, there's just so many things here that we are similar in that way in the story. And so, um, you know, I, and, but, but before we go to you, Anna, I'm just going to say to Francesca, can you tell me a little bit about how you look at strength in this particular character of yours, your protagonist? Yeah. So Aina Solis is my protagonist and she is an assassin, so she has a lot of physical strength. And <laughs> on one hand, that was some was important for me to write because I've always loved um, like sports and physical activities. I, I do contortion and trapeze. It's a lot of upper body strength. And uh, for me, when you're a girl growing up with that um, and with the trusts, you get told a lot that you're um, that it's something that girls shouldn't do, or um, you. Just get a lot of negative comments. <laughs> um, it's it's not the worst thing in the world, but it's it's something. And so I wanted to show a character who is just strong, and she doesn't really care what anybody thinks. She just uh, she knows she has to do this. It's her job. It's her life. She knows 
She has to be strong to survive, but she also likes it. Uh, she likes being able to kick people's butts. So <laughs> that's my character. But also something that I uh, kind of liked writing about um, with the aspect of physical strength in my book is that she's still really emotionally vulnerable at times. Um, sometimes her physical strength makes her think that she has to also put on a, a strong face for her emotions. And because she's an assassin, she can't like break down or anything. But I really liked writing the times where she did break down and was really open and vulnerable. It, it went to show that just because she's an assassin, she's not like this um, archetype that's just um, strong and never open or anything. So, yeah. Okay, great. Anna, do you, do you, would you like to jump in real quick before we- One thing, on? I'll add one thing. So, yeah. so Milad is struggling with her weight and obviously people are tell, saying mean things to her, this bully in particular. Mm -hmm. But I think one of the themes for my book is that the most important words are the words that you tell yourself. So that right. dialogue, that inner dialogue that you have. So she has to learn to change that because yeah. those words are sinking in, they sink into your skin, they penetrate your soul. So if you keep yeah. saying, not only letting those words into who you are and into your spirit, but saying the same words to yourself over and over again is even even worse. So I would just say not to do that. That's one of the things if, if young people can learn to shut those voices out, but especially if it's coming from within you to kind of just tell yourself to sit down and be quiet. All right, Alex, do you want anything real quickly before we move over on to student questions? Or you want to share anything? Yeah, um, so with my book, I only really talk about kind of body positivity and like um, self a little bit. Um, there's some mention about colorism in mm. the Latinx communities with uh, Martha's mother who tries to lighten her skin and not get dark um, and not be brown because you know there's this idea that brown is bad or ugly or unattractive. Um, and Martha herself is, is darker than her mother. So um, I do talk about that a bit. Um, it's one of those things that I think in the Latinx community is a big issue, but really where Martha finds her self-esteem and her power and connection to her community and self is through her ability to um, to heal people through apprenticing as a curandera, um, a Mexican folk healer. And so she finds this power within herself, which is something that you spoke about, EE, e. is finding that power and that strength, whatever it may be, and actually who you are and the abilities that you have. Okay, awesome. We are now gonna go and start with the student questions, because we have some young people that are very excited to hear your input. So I am going to read, no, I'm actually not. We're gonna play it right now. This is Sophia R, 10th grade from Florida. My name is Sophia, and I would like to know how authors come up with and develop their ideas into such long books. All right, so Sophia would like to know how authors come up with their ideas to develop them into such long books. Let us go, Francesca. <laughs> Hi, Sophia. Uh, I write fantasy books, so they tend to be a bit long. There's a lot of like magic and world building. Um, when I get the idea, I start thinking of how the plot and the character both will intertwine, and that usually helps me come up with the main beats of the plot. And I, I do plot a lot, so that's how I get them to be longer and how I get the book to be the length it needs to be to cover the character's, character's whole journey. I spend a lot of time plotting before I start writing. Okay, you are you are so much more pro than me. Okay, let's, uh, Richie, uh, 
Tell me, how do you do that? Similar to Francesca, what the thing is to come up with a, I, I wanted to do a Puerto Rican Nancy Drew. Nancy Drew, Ooh. for those of you who don't know, is a teenage detective. She's very popular, 1920s, 30s, actually still very popular. Uh, but there hadn't been a Latinx Nancy Drew, uh, certainly not a Puerto Rican one. So I wanted to do that. And the way you come up with story in general, uh, the way I do is you put, you get a character, a strong character, and you put them in a situation and you basically imagine what they're going to do next. And that gives, builds one scene after the other. Oh, once you know the character well, they almost tell you the story for you. Absolutely. Anyone else? I would agree that it's character driven. So I come up with the character first and see where the character goes. But definitely there's a message in my head that I want the reader to walk away with. So how am I going to get that to them? Which way? Alex? That's what I thought about. Alex? I come, I come up with a something that I'm trying to deal with at the time. Am I trying to deal with some like existential crisis or family issue? And basically, I try to answer the question through um, my character and the adventures they go through and the experiences that they have. And for me, I would just say it depends on the book. Um, I'm very music driven, so I always have soundtracks for every book that I develop so that I can always feel like I can come back in because the book isn't written in a day. So you always have to come back and come back. And with Angie specifically, uh, literally uh, accidentally landed on Lenny Kravitz's Are You Gonna Go My Way? For anyone who knows who Lenny Kravitz is, most people say, and the kids are like, who's Lenny? I'm like, if you saw Hunger Games, you know who Lenny Kravitz is. <laughs> and, um, and that uh, I heard that song and immediately wrote the opening on a napkin. And I knew right then that that was the book that it was gonna be. And um, I still have the napkin. I'm glad I didn't wash it in my clothes or anything. So it was a total win. Um, so yeah, so, but, uh, definitely ideas, um, but you have to have the discipline to keep going. All right. Let us move on to our second question. This is from John David BV. He's in fifth grade from, ah, oh, Bangkok, uh, Thailand. Wow. That's Hello, right. My name is John David and I live in Bangkok. I have a question. Can you name some of your favorite books growing up? All right. Who'd like to go first? Favorite books. I can say, can you hear me? Um, so when I was very young, there was a book called Ote by Pura Belpre. And it's a story about a Hibaro who meets a devil who's nearsighted and the devil tries to trick him uh, in the book. Uh, I will also say I read comic books like crazy and I think they're good for kids to read. Um, and also uh, Agatha Christie, I will say Agatha Christie books, um, Murder on the Orient Express was very important for me when I was young. Anna? So my favorite books when I was really young were the Amelia Bedelia series. Um, but I <laughs> but I read anything that I could get my hands on. So just I read so much that nothing is really sticking out. But I would say the Amelia Bedelia is the, the one that comes to mind the most. And then as I grew older and got into middle school and high school, I don't know, something stuck with me in my English class. And the minute that I heard that first Jane Austen book, I was in love with 19th century British literature. So even in high school, I was already reading that. So I would say uh, anything you can get your hands to on. And then when you find something that you do like, just keep looking for this, books from that writer. That's a good place to start. All right, Alex? Yeah, growing up, um, I read a lot of Nancy Drew. Um, I also read the Alana series, Harry Potter, anything that was a vampire series, because I was like the vampire age <laughs> of uh, fiction. So um, 
Yeah, those were kind of what I was into at the time, fantasy, but I kind of got into English class and started to figure out I liked other books. I think Count of Monte Cristo was a really big book for me in high school. Okay, I'll go. Uh, for me, uh, let's see. So there weren't a lot of books that I could really relate to, but the other problem was I grew up in a book desert. So by growing up in a book desert, there were just non-availability of books for me. And so in seventh grade, I was really struggling living in my adopted family and just feeling like I didn't belong. And so my, my history teacher of all people gave me a copy of The Outsiders. And it was something about that story where these, these boys, which I wasn't, um, created sort of a family amongst themselves. In, 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 a, in a way of not feeling connected and finding connection. And that book literally changed my life um, and made me feel like I could belong somewhere. So I, you know, I think that The Outsiders was a game changer for me in that way. Um, and, you know, then later on you, you go on and, you know, you read E.E. E. Cummings and you think, wow, you can do that on a page. That's fantastic. It's so, but definitely I think as a young person, it was The Outsiders for me. All right. Um, so we're gonna move on to our Third and final question. If you could write a letter to yourself before you began writing, what would you tell yourself? This is from Victoria Kay. She's uh, in fifth grade in California. All right. I would say start writing now. <laughs> <laughs> yes. You need to start writing now. Read more, look at other books and authors um, who write stories that you don't identify with stories that you do identify with explore go beyond just what you think you like and then start trying to write books that are similar to that and grow your practice as soon as you can i would echo that i would say dive right in don't wait just start mm. doing it just put yeah. you know hands to keyboard paper to pen and there's always going to be an excuse for tomorrow 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 but like apollo creed said in rocky there is no tomorrow so start now um, I would echo that. Uh, two things. I would say start keeping a journal now. There's going to be so many ideas that you come up with and so many things happening to you uh, that you will need details for. And also make sure to ask out Mildred Sanchez. Um, yes. So uh, sort of going off that, I would say to save everything that you write. Right now I'm rewriting a book that I first wrote five or six years ago. And yeah, so don't throw away even if you think it's not good at all and uh, my second piece of advice that I would give to my younger self would be to not be afraid to combine um, different interests writing so my first ever story was a Sailor Moon ripoff and I wanted to draw the little sailor outfits in the margins so there I'm combining art the writing so if art music anything that you like with your writing if you like science right a character who likes science, just uh, just write what you want, even if you don't think it's serious, <laughs> just write it. I love it. For me, wow, uh, I think about, I wrote some really bad poetry, I don't know about anybody else. I wrote some really bad short stories that I ripped off, one was called Back to the Future. I don't know if anybody else did anything that awful, but um, I would say to my younger self in the letter, I'd say, hey, listen, your story is a revolution, be fearless, make mistakes, and trust that what you say matters now and it will matter later. So write, write, write and let no one stop you. No one, that's what I'd say. All right, well, 
That is fantastic, everyone. I want to thank everyone for being here today. I'm, I'm so happy that we got to celebrate this together. Um, I would like to also thank the festival, which, as I said, is the first in its inception. And thank you for welcoming us. And I hope that everyone who is here and watched this, you know, um, had such a wonderful experience. And, um, you know, thank you so much. Thank you for including us. And uh, have a wonderful day.